Hey everybody, it's Mark Thompson and this is the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm a CEO coach, that's what I do. I work with the world's top leaders to help develop their best people to take the greatest responsibilities and be greater in their impact to the world than they ever even imagined possible. And one of the people that inspires me the most is Ryan Napierski, who's becoming Chief Executive Officer of NewSkin, one of the world's best beauty products companies, such an empowering organization. I sat with Ryan on stage at Silicon Slopes in Salt Lake City in front of 25,000 people at the Salt Palace. And here with the usual equanimity and grace, Ryan was talking about, was it just about business? Yes, no, we've got to produce the best results possible. But more importantly, it's all about empowering the people who make that happen all over the world, the influencers, the people who are allowing others to become the best version of themselves. And so Ryan and I talked about his vision for the future as he comes into the role of CEO. And please write to me and let me know what you think because Ryan is really an example of the next generation of great leaders of global companies. I am so delighted to have my my friend, my mentor and colleague and partner, the Ryan Napierski, who has been really leading a whole transformation in an industry that has its tentacles out around the world. Uh, he's been able to light up a community of leaders and distributors who are independent and bring them into uh, the fold. He's been able to work across countries and time zones and political differences and, and trade indifferences. And so thank you, Ryan, for taking some time to, to meet with all of us. I really appreciate it. No, Mark, it's, it's always wonderful to meet with you. You've been an amazing coach over the last couple of years, certainly a mentor. You, you come from this space and, and you've done what I've done before. It's just been awesome to be able to partner with you and, and, and feel the sincerity that comes from you as you coach me. I mean, that's to me the most important part of, of our relationship. So thanks. Well, thank, thank you uh, and for taking the time because you're always paying it forward. So you're role modeling kind of what we cherish when we, we think about what we'd like a leader and a chief executive of the, of the new century to be all about. And I get to parachute into organizations all over the world and usually have a dozen going at once. And in this environment, you know, I might sit in on one board meeting a year with a, a client and a colleague it's been 17 a week in this environment with the business continuity. Could you share with us a little bit about how you go to market thinking about the global work that you do? Because even before the current crisis that we're in, there's constant differences between nations and competition and politics and so forth. How, how do you really have an impact in, in, in lighting up relations uh, in China and elsewhere when you've got that as such a critical part of your success and growth as a company. Yeah, Mark, and, and you had mentioned previously, I mean, New Skin is, a, you know, it's a 35-year-old traditional direct sales company that is in a transformation process. We deploy a, an army of over a million brand ambassadors or, you know, today's marketing terminology influencers uh, to market our wellness products around the globe in, in nearly 50 countries. And so you're right, the, the challenges of operating that type of business um, globally is fairly enormous because as you can imagine, the, the regulatory 
uh, responsibilities and requirements from market to market. When you look at, you know, for example, every market has their own version of the FDA in terms of getting our products approved. And they all, every market has their version of the FTC uh, around hmm. trade, trade controls and, and trade parameters uh, because of the unique distribution channel we have. We, we deploy a million you know, independent contractors and, and attempt to manage those um, in a manner that's probably not too dissimilar from a, a McDonald's franchise like you and I were talking about or an Uber experience where you have millions of drivers that are all independent. And so you have an FTC oversight. And then, of course, you have the SEC requirements of being a publicly traded company. For us, um, it is absolutely uh, critical that we have the right oversight or governance controls in place from a legal and a, a government regulations uh, point of view. Uh, we absolutely find that to be uh, critical you know, in, in you know, any business, of course but certainly in our specific business where we're trying to balance so many different regulate, regulatory bodies. Um, that's mm -hmm. something that, that for me, uh, you know, having lived over in Europe for, for several years, as well as in, in Asia and various markets from, you know, Japan or Korea, uh, China, et cetera, um, is, is, just, is just a very necessary part uh, of that operation. Um, I do think in terms of the the go-to-market for us, Mark, what, one of the principles that we've deployed globally is, is to operate a global seamless business. And so from a strategic perspective, and this was great foresight from the founders of the companies, that we have viewed uh, needing to have a truly global strategy from the beginning of the enterprise. We, we did not go into our business and set up unique business operations with unique go-to-market approaches in every market. Rather, we've really started from the beginning with this global seamless uh, strategy. And for us, you know, in years past, you know, prior to the, the internet era, um, it, it was always a debate, you know, if we, if we could localize just a little bit more, could we capitalize on those local opportunities? For example, if we localized in Korea, maybe our nutrition line, we should make a kimchi flavored protein shape because in Korea that would allow us to penetrate the market but we really resisted to a degree that layer of that extensive layer of localization in favor of globalization and in my view we, we never would have imagined the impact of technology on the business at that time in 1984 but looking to where we are today I can tell you that you know, multiple times per quarter, I'm thinking about how we went to market, why it's so critical to have a global strategy, because the world is relatively flat today. And, and it's really, so for us, we've maintained that global go-to-market uh, approach and it's, and, it's, and it's paying off, you know, in, in my view, it, it would, it enables a greater degree of growth than, than anything we thought before. What's, what's interesting to me now, what, observing the trade wars that, that are beginning to surface, I was with Vice Minister Wong, um, who's, who's negotiating the trade package. Uh, in fact, he canceled his second meeting with me because he was leaving for the White House. Um, it, this was you know, several, it's almost been two years now. Um, but, but speaking with them on and, and, and observing now this, this transition from a global economy 
to almost a, it feels to be a, a bit of a setback to trade wars and, and, and discussions and, and discourse around fairness across markets. I ultimately believe globalization will, will win out because the customer needs are, are consistent and, and companies are truly chasing after customer needs. Uh, nevertheless, that has been probably the unique dynamic today is how does a company navigate the governmental uh, um, facets of, of this segmentation, you know, or between countries that didn't exist or hasn't existed over the last 15, 20 years. It's been de decreasing and now it's increasing. And, but we'll see it. It ebbs and flows, right? Um, but but anyways, that's just a, a bit of a, of a perspective on the global side. You've lived in Asia, you've lived in Asia as well as Europe and other places, as you mentioned. Could you talk about what's the key for a, an executive who's leading a function and leading relationships and community? I mean, is it uh, a, a day that's filled with stakeholder in the uh, stakeholders in politics and in the go-to-market strategy with those influencers that you were talking about? Tell us a little bit about what that's like and what would you advise others who are taking responsibility as the, as the president of a, a nation or a region? Yeah, I think, I think as I, yeah, I managed, I, I spent most of my, my career, I've spent most of it in Asia with uh, the minority part of, of it being Europe or the U S um, and, and for me, the, uh, the, the most challenging aspect of, those broad, you know, living abroad assignments is, is really not at the work level. Like I said, I, I feel like the, the beauty of, of the experience I've had to date is people are fundamentally the same, want the same things. We may go about doing it differently, but in terms of managing our workforces, managing a leadership team, uh, managing the, the general business environment, I, I would say there's, there's more, I found more consistency than differences. Even from a regulatory mm. perspective, you can find that there are general undertones of, of most regulations, with the exception of Vietnam or some of those, those countries that are maybe not yet as developed, uh, some of our Latin America markets. But there's that general consistency in the undertone and the customer, our customer segments, uh, and we operate with, we sell personal care products and nutrition products. Those, those consumer trends are generally relatively uh, consistent. I think where the differences come is, is in the, the, uh, the, it's more the, the family side or the human dynamic side of, of, of dragging, you know, dragging your, your, your family around the globe and, and they're dealing with the world that's totally different. And so I'm heading into offices and I've met with these people and I know them and we're all talking the same language in terms of the business language we're speaking. Uh, and, and you've got the family side and they're trying to adjust to all the, 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 the changes of new schools and new languages and new cultures and all of that. And so, so that's where for me as an executive, uh, it's been more challenging uh, than, than, than anything from a business standpoint. Uh, but I, you know, Mark, honestly, I, I remember reading, uh, this would have been in 1994. I had just finished uh, kind of working my way through undergrad, and I, I got this book from Rosabeth Moss Cantor. You would know her. I think she was a Harvard yes. professor. And she wrote a book of thriving, globalization, thriving in a global economy. And I remember reading this, and I had spent two years in Korea, and so I was, I was just getting into the, my you know, very early stage in my career. Um, I had worked a little bit in, in Korea at the time. 
and, uh, and, and reading this book. And I was fascinated with this idea of that truly globalization is going to happen. Because I, I would go, Mark, I would, whether I was in Korea or Japan, and I hadn't traveled much prior to, you know, being 19 years old, but I, I would go into these markets and I would see the, the, the trends that the, you know, on the airplanes, kids weren't wearing Nikes in Korea in 1990, you know, 1992. They were, they were wearing their own version, a local Korea version. And yet between 92 and 95, 96, all of a sudden people started wearing Nikes. I mean, they were in there, of course, but, but not prevalently. Um, you would see, you know, consumer package, consumer goods companies, uh, um, you know, LG or, or some, well, LG is more an electronics, but you'd see different brands or cars and automobiles, and they were different in the early 90s, even in the early 90s. But by the mid 90s, all of these, these consumer trends started to meld together as globalization, just as she laid out in her book, globalization was happening. Then the internet era happens and e-commerce, and now the world is complete, I mean, it's not completely flat, but it is predominantly from a consumer trend standpoint, flat. You look at McDonald's and, and you look at Pizza Hut, what people are buying, you look at the fashion industry, H&M, all these companies, they're, they're, they're now all globalizing. And so I think from an executive perspective, it's easier today, in my opinion, to, to float through markets. And, 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 you know, as long as you find those undertones that are consistent across the markets and then uh, allow for that, that nuancing uh, that maybe is the final 20% that will enable your success in that market. But the 80% to me, now that would have been probably inverted in 1990, you know, in the 1980s and, and, and before, it's probably 80 to 90% local and 10 to 20% uh, global. Now it's 80 to 90% global with 10 to 20% local. That's fascinating. Uh, when you think about the engaging the influencers in China uh, and the independent distributors in, in various markets, what, what does that really take in terms of your role as a leader to, to engage people who uh, you've got to constantly provide a value proposition to, not that you don't have to do that with your employees as well, yeah. but they don't really officially work for you, but they do make their livelihood through you. Yeah, that's, and, and, and I love this part of our business, Mark. I mean, you know, New Skin really is, from my point of view, we're an empowerment business. That's how, we, you know, much like an Uber, uh, we, we, we enable people to have that flexible income earning opportunity and, and the, the world is really in need of that. Um, and so to your point, we, we deploy this army and we employ and deploy an army of, of, of independent contractors or, and we used to call them brand ambassadors and, and, and now we call them really influencers, affiliates and influencers, micro influencers. We're not talking about the the giant Kardashians, you know, they, they certainly have their own brands, but you can see the power of that model when, when you have, you know, Kylie Jenner standing up a, a billion dollar brand at, at 21 years old. I think she was the youngest billionaire created by influencer marketing. And that's really what New Skin has deployed from the beginning. It was just in an analog manner before. It was a face-to-face, door-to-door, Avon-esque type of model. Now you trans that, transition that with, with social uh, media and social influencer marketing. And now we, our model is all of a sudden, has all of a sudden become mainstream. 
It's what every mm -hmm. company, we see Amazon now playing in the space. We saw LG just make an acquisition in the US in this space. Everyone's trying to figure out how to create true loyal brand influencers um, and micro influencers um, that it, to, to do that. I think interestingly, when you talk about the global to local, China is perhaps the most interesting uh, of, of all the markets because the rest of the world is controlled. You can really control almost the entire influencer market by three or four social media platforms, right? You have Facebook, you have Instagram, um, Snapchat starting to surface, but it's uh, WhatsApp and, and then you have WeChat. And WeChat, while it's not as prominent here, um, it absolutely connects the vast majority of our, of our Asia markets, starting with China and then the tentacles just flow into Southeast Asia, into Korea, um, into some of those other markets, Taiwan, um, Hong Kong, all of that flows together. The, the most interesting thing for me, again, it's, it's like 80% consistency that even the influencer model in China is very consistent from a principal standpoint to the influencer model or the affiliate models in the US or, or Europe or elsewhere. But the, the go-to-market, the WeChat platform is so much more integrated. And so, I mean, it's, 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 it's like Facebook with an enormous, um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's all of the different Facebook and, and, and Etsy and Shopify all put, to, you know, aggregated into a single integrated platform. And it really creates a powerful influencer engine. Um, and, and that's something that's very unique uh, for us. And so for us, you know, it, it has, while, while the medium has changed from face to face to now social media, the model itself and the principles behind the model of creating true loyal brand ambassadors who are willing to vocally and, and, and by the way, and, and paid to vocally uh, market your products for you in, without a bricks and mortar uh, overlay that, that we, we have very minimal, I should say, bricks and mortar overlay. We have experience centers that, that endorse that model, but, but we're really able to go in, Mark, to, to any country reasonably quickly with very minimal infrastructure, other beyond registering your business and getting a base, some basic infrastructure in place. And that model, in my mind, is extremely envious or, or envied, uh, excuse me, by, by, uh, by companies around the globe. Because we're, we're, at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to get to is an extremely variable cost operation that can scale really, really quickly. Um, and it, that's based on true authentic marketing. Uh, these are people that love the brands. They love talking about them. You know, the beauty of micro-influencers, 56% of them are never even paid for what they do um, because they just love the brands. Um, and in our case, it's, it's fun to, to deploy this model and feel like it's now finally coming to, to fruition that this main, this word of mouth model is now becoming mainstream through influencer marketing and affiliate marketing. For us, our bigger challenge, I know you and I've talked about this is how do you now take a 1984 driven analog direct sales company and transition it to a digital first customer obsessed global company. And that's really where I've spent now the, you know, the, the majority of my time the last two years. It's really been a, uh, an interesting evolution. I think where the world 
uh, as you've described it, has kind of come your direction and you're, and you're approaching the world as well as this platform really expands and social and digital is empowered micro entrepreneurs and yeah. many and, and aspiring uh, small and mid-sized businesses to become large business. In a sense, you're part of leveling that playing field. Um, what do you wish you knew about that process at the beginning of this adventure that, that you know better now that would have be, be, be some great advice you think for people who are getting started in this journey, particularly as a, as a global and an influencer player? So, so five years ago, our prior CEO tasked me with developing the next generation strategy for our business. And at the time, we, we saw the digital trends, of course. I mean, in our own personal lives, right? We now communicate, very few of us have landline phones. Uh, we, we typically do our business through Zoom calls and, and the like, but it, we saw those trends. But, but honestly, Mark, I, if I could visually describe it, um, the digital ask elements of, it, of the strategy were on the periphery of hmm. what we were doing it was it was that last mile conversation of here's our business now how do we leverage digital to get the products to market and it was that that was how i approached it five years ago what i wish i would have known then that i know over the last two years is that digital's not the last mile it's the center it's the hub it is everything you do if you think about how uber disrupted i'm uh yellow cab it was, it was the yellow cab was looking at the technology to enable their core business model. And Uber came in and said, no, technology is the business model. It is, it, the app is the business and everything else was extensible off of the app. So the technology sat at the center. I really believe Mark, and over the last you know, two and a half, three years, my evolution of thought, and, and I wish I could go back five years ago because we could be two, mm -hmm. two to three years faster to market on, the tra on our transformation. But that realization that, that what really has to sit, what, what has to sit right at the center is the customer, right? But because the customer engagement happens predominantly via digital, the digital interface then is the core of your, your operating strategy and everything else is extensible off of or from there. That to me is the biggest transition or, and, and transformational principle that I've learned that I, that I wish I would have known. Now, I mean, I'm leaning heavily in and you've been instrumental in coaching me on, the, on that digital side. I mean, that was really your, uh, well, that's why you, you and I, engaged it was your you come from silicon valley and i and you had done this with with your companies and and i i felt like that's the type of coach i needed is someone that knows that world as the center not as the periphery um and, and i think the companies that are truly leading this their disruption in their relative industries are have realized and acknowledged that transformation in one way shape or another if i look at like the wall street journal um, to have a dot com on your on your newspaper is one thing. To totally invert your model and to develop content and go to market directly as a digital platform is is really the uh, the center centerpiece of a strategy. 
And then, and then if I could just briefly yeah. extending off of the digital being at the center and technology being at the center, then it's transforming your business from a traditional linear pipeline like business into a platform business. Because as you know, um, platforms really are, are, um, are ultimately the, the, they're kind of like the VCs of the traditional world. I remember in, in business school, you know, they always had the widget cases, right? And they talk about selling widgets. And I remember sitting yeah. in my first VC class and at Duke and, and they, uh, we had a professor actually adjunct come out coming out of Stanford and she starts talking about that, that the company that in VC companies are the widgets that you're buying and selling companies. And it's like this flywheel all of a sudden becomes enormous. That's the same uh, evolution of thought that I've gone through as I went through uh, our, our traditional pipeline business of getting a product, going through distributors to market and, and inverting or, or, or reassessing that into a flywheel where you've got a platform that's bringing together two customer types, you know, entrepreneurs and consumers, and we're spinning that flywheel faster and faster. It's, it's a little bit like a Shopify model where you have independent business owners starting their businesses. And then you've got all these consumers out there that are aggregating. Now we, we could debate, I, I continue to believe that Shopify could make a very significant strategic pivot if they could create a marketplace that would open up all their Shopify entrepreneurs, similar to what Amazon's done with small Amazon SMB. But if they can right. open up their market and, and create a Shopify ecosystem of consumers who could shop across their small businesses, then they truly could be a two-sided platform. Uh, but in any case, this is, it's not about them. What we're looking at, Mark, is, is how do we transform our business, putting technology at the center. It is the connector of all of these entrepreneurs, these million entrepreneurs around the world who are growing their, their micro businesses with all of the consumers that are buying our products, how do we sit at the center of that and move beyond, uh, move, move to create a, a commercial opportunity that, that, that truly is, is exponentially scalable for both sides of the platform. So entrepreneurs get access to more consumers and more consumers get access to more entrepreneurs. And then I think the next evolution, which I'm not even, we're not even to yet is moving from platforms to aggregators. And, and, right. and that's our, that's our next five years, right? Is, is how do we do that? Uh, and that's what you and I will have to spend more time on. Well, it's an inspiration to hear you talk about it this way, because you're helping millions of people in what would otherwise be a, uh, a lonely gig economy, uh, particularly as we have overlaying financial and pandemic and, and other types of crises that make it difficult for the individual to really turn that, that dream uh, into a, a profitable business and, and one that sustains communities and so forth that you've been able to evolve your model in ways that really uh, enable them. And that's, that's the win-win, that's the stickiness and uh, I think the real impact that you're having of your model. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time for me to pull you out of the office so that you could spend some time with us today. I, I'm grateful for that and really appreciate it. Admire you a great deal. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson. And please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.